Chapter 189 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 189 Miss Lake Passes a Fearful Night. The Impostor Punished. The landlord of the London Hotel made every possible exertion to keep a profound secret the events of the night, but people will talk even when they have not anything particular to say, so that we cannot wonder at their doing so when they have. In fact, the story of the vampire at the London Hotel got known pretty well half over London in the course of the day succeeding that second attempt upon the lifeblood of the young lady who had become the object of attack from the monster. Mr. Lake was in a strange frame of mind, as regarded the whole affair. He did not yet know whether to really believe it or not, whether to ascribe it, after all, to a dream, or, as Mrs. Lake hinted, for she was a woman fond of scheming herself, so always ready to suggest its existence in others, a mere plan upon the part of the young girl to get rid of the projected alliance with young Master Lake, and possibly evoke the sympathy of all who heard her story. This view of the matter, however, although it did not make much impression upon Mr. Lake, suggested something to him that he thought would chime in well with his other plans and projects. If, he said, I could but instill a little courage into my son, he might now, at all events, make a favorable impression upon his cousin. Full of this idea, he summoned the young gentleman to a conference with him, and having carefully closed the door, he said in a low, confidential tone, "'Of course you have heard all about this, this vampire business?' "'Yes, Governor, to be sure I have. Who could fail of hearing all about it? Why, nobody in the house will talk of anything else. I'm afraid to go to bed, I can tell you. That is to say, for fear I should do anything rash, you know, that's all.' "'I understand you, and it's no use blinking the fact to me that you are a coward.' I am a coward, I. Oh, you are very much mistaken. I'm a long way off that. I'm only always desirous of getting out of the way when anything happens, for fear of doing a rash act. It's excess of courage, you know. That's what alarms me. Well, there are cases in which there would be no harm resulting, were you ever so rash. Ah, only show me one, and then you'll see. Very well, your cousin, you know and you know she is your cousin, won't have you. Now, unless you are married to her, all our nicely got-up plans are liable to be blasted by any accident, or by any breath of treachery that may come across them. But if you were the husband of your cousin, policy, habit, and indeed everything would combine to induce Lord Lake and her to smother up the affair. You comprehend. But what am I to do if she won't have me? I will tell you, you must awaken her gratitude by rescuing her from all these foolish terrors about vampires, and when once a woman feels and knows that a man has done a brave act in her behalf, the principal entrance to her heart is open to him. Oh, but I, I, the vampire, that's rather unpleasant. Come now, you are not such a fool as really to believe that it's, after all, anything but a mere dream. Don't tell me. Vampires, indeed! 
at all events you can vapor as much as you like upon that subject without any danger occurring yes yes you may think so i know so listen to me the son did listen and the father added you must volunteer to watch alone by your cousin's door for this vampire and of course nothing will think of coming it's too ridiculous altogether that is so so you see you run no risk at all you comprehend that well but if i run no risk i don't see what's the use of doing it you know for if all is quiet how can she be grateful to me for having rescued her from nothing at all very well put very well indeed but as there will be nothing really to rescue her from suppose we make something that will just suit our own purposes what do you mean why you know my great grey travelling cloak what is to hinder you having that with you and whenever you are quite certain that your cousin is fast asleep you can put that on over your face partially and go into the room and pretend to be the vampire and when she is in a paroxysm of terror do you dash out the light and then in your natural voice cry out ah wretch i have you i have you how dare you invade the sanctity of this chamber and all that sort of thing you know and you can knock about the chairs as much as you like so as to induce the belief that you are engaged in a deadly struggle and then you call for lights and you are there and the vampire gone well i rather like that and if i were quite sure of what that there was no real vampire you know why i wouldn't mind it pshaw well well i'll do it i'll do it i tell you i see all the importance of getting her for my wife ahem and if i do he added to himself aside i'll take deuced good care you don't get a hold of the money for after we are married i shall just tell lord lake all about it during the day mr lake had sought an opportunity of speaking to mr black my dear sir he said to him you don't seem well at all and i shall insist that you do not trouble yourself to watch to-night by the door of the young lady who has had so disagreeable a visitor i am certainly not quite well said mr black the fact is my health will not bear anything like a shock a family occurrence has so shattered my nerves my dear sir say no more you shall have no more trouble about us my son who loves his cousin and is quite jealous of anybody defending her but himself will watch alone by her door he has great courage when once his spirit is up and it is now i'm glad to hear it it takes time to get it up why ah uh, ah uh, yes sometimes i must be on the lookout myself to-night or the cowardly fellow will spoil all thought mr lake any unusual noise in the house i suppose will be almost sufficient to induce him to faint away confound his cowardice it mars all mr lake was not by any means so clear in his own mind as he pretended to be of the fact of the vampire being only a delusion and a creation of the brain of his niece so when the evening came he did all that was in his power to keep the courage of his son to the mark he even took care that he should have a glass of something strong and hot for he knew by personal experience that while they lasted the fumes of hot alcohol did something for a weak heart but what pleased mr lake most of all was the ease with which he had thus managed matters with mr miller and his clerk who he had no doubt 
would fabricate such a story as would convince the single-minded Annetta of his claims to be her father. Then, thought the old lake, we can surely among us badger her into marrying my son. Oh, it will be all right. Let no plot henceforward hope to succeed if this one does not. It must and it shall. It shall and it must. It's all very well of any one to say that a scheme shall succeed. But how light a breath of air shall chase away the darkly woven fancies of a thousand plots. Mr. Lake stood upon a precipice which he little saw, or the terrific height of it would have driven him distracted. Miss Lake was in a great state of mental depression. If anything, more than another was calculated to thoroughly break down the spirits of a young and innocent girl, it certainly would be such circumstances as those which now surrounded her, and deprived, too, as she was, of that aid and sympathy she would have received at the hands of a father or a mother, it was only a wonder that she did not sink under the affliction most completely. She made no objection to young Lake watching by the outside of her door. Indeed, she was weeping and depressed, so that she could scarcely know what proposal was made to her. "'I shall not sleep,' she said. "'God knows what will become of me.' "'Do not despair. All may be well.' It was a very sad thing that my brother Lord Lake ever found out that you were not his daughter. I'm sure I would have given freely all I possessed to have averted any such news, for it has attacked both his happiness and yours. The young girl made no reply to this, but the look she gave him was quite sufficient to show him how much she doubted the sincerity of the professions of friendship and affection for her that fell from his lips there was a something in his hollow, heartless character which, young and innocent and unknowing in the ways of the world even as that young girl was, she saw through, and he felt that she did so. This was the most provoking thing of all, that his heartlessness and selfishness should be transparent to one so young as she was. But the night came at last, and with it the fidgety fears of young Lake increased mightily. He was all of a shake, as Slop the waiter said, like a lot of jelly. It was only by repeated doses of brandy and water that he kept himself from declaring off the adventure altogether, so that by eleven o'clock at night he was in a terrible state between fear and intoxication, and as any two impulses will each do its best to defeat the other, he was prevented from getting entirely drunk by his fears, and from getting entirely afraid by the liquor but at last he did actually take his place by the door of the chamber occupied by his cousin, and then with a table before him on which were lights, brandy and water, and cigars, he prepared to go through what to him was a terrible ordeal. "'You, you, really think,' he whispered to his father, who came to promise him that he would not undress himself, but remain in his room within call, "'You really think there is no vampire?' tut tut well but really now really have i not told you before come come nonsense there's the old grey travelling cloak put it under the table and now i shall leave you it is about half past eleven and you have nothing in the world to do but just to enjoy yourself you know good night end of chapter one hundred eighty nine